And although this was an unfortunate blip, we do have to recognize that mental illness is real. And we hope that um, those that are diagnosed get the help that they need and that they're held accountable to the full extent of the law when it comes to making threats like this. 94 is not a huge number, but that's 94 families that can't tuck their kids in at bed at night. Personally, I'm not willing to take that risk with something that has proven this far to be safe. When you kind of stretch the rules, your party views you as, as doing something smart and just doing what needs to be done to win, and the other party cries foul. I guess, you know, that's where we are right now. You're listening to Pod Suey, the week's top story served a la carte. Subscribe at thegreatvoice.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Gubernatorial candidates had to file paperwork on the past three months of fundraising on Monday, revealing a very well-funded war chest for incumbent Governor Gretchen Whitmer. So what did the filings reveal about Whitmer's chances against her highest-profile challenger, James Craig? And why might she have to give some of that money back? Detroit News reporter Craig Monger with Guy Gordon. If we just look at this as a scoreboard, one would draw the conclusion that uh, Governor Whitmer is uh, significantly outraising the GOP field. But does that tell the whole story? No, it doesn't tell the whole story. I mean, it's definitely part of the story. She's raising lots of money. She has a huge financial advantage over her potential Republican opponents. But at the same time, she's raising millions of dollars through this so-called recall loophole where, you know, she's supposedly facing a recall, which is a bit unclear to me what that is. But because she's uh, because she believes she's facing a recall, she gets to raise unlimited amounts of money to fight the recall However, she's supposed to eventually give this money back to the donors or donate it to some outside group. At this point, where we stand right now, according to our tracking, she's raised $4 million from donors who've given more than what the limits would normally allow them to give. And she's done that even after being warned that it could be improper and inappropriate. And I guess my question is, is there a political price to be paid for this? I think most people, most voters have a sense of fair play. They have a sense of respect for the rule of law. Um, but then there's this uh, <laughs> this thing today where, you know, it's all fair in love and politics, as long as it's my guy uh, that's that's uh, doing the, the, the deed that will help them get elected. Do we know, is there going to be any political penance to be paid for this? You know, it's too early to tell on that, really. I mean, I, I think Democrats, right now are defending her and you know I've, I've kind of been thinking you know throughout the day if rick snyder had done something like this democrats would have been very angry that's kind of just where we are at with politics right now so you're when when you kind of stretch the rules your party views you as, as doing something smart and just doing what needs to be done to win and the other party cries foul i guess you know that's where we are right now i think republicans are trying to tie this to some of the other things that have happened with the Whitmer administration when they feel like she is not playing by the same rules that she's asking other people Mm -hmm. to play by. And if Republicans are successfully able to tie this campaign finance issue into those other things, you know, traveling to Florida to see her father, uh, her husband trying to get his boat launched at the height of the pandemic, if they can tie all these things together and tell that narrative, you know, they might be able to make some hay here. Right, that the rules exist for, for like the old Leona Helmsley. That's that was for the little people. Um, I, I am, though, curious about uh, Chief Craig. Um, mm-hmm. You know, again, on the Michigan Democratic Party 
press release, I'm sure they're saying that he was outraised three to one. But in terms of the period that was covered, how did he do, given the fact that he wasn't hadn't actually declared uh, for the majority of, of that period that uh, the report covers? Yeah, he 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 did, I think, fairly well. That's kind of my analysis of where he's at. I, I thought going into this, you know, if he reported raising more than $2 million, that would be a very impressive number. If he reported raising less than a $1 million, that would be a warning sign. He reported raising $1.4 million, and I think that's kind of right there where, you know, that's okay. He, he beat all of his potential primary candidates handedly in fundraising. At the same time, you know, he's still well behind Governor Whitmer. And I think he has left the door open still to one of these other GOP candidates potentially catching fire and catching up to him in the primary race. This week's meeting of the Michigan Independent Citizens Redistricting Commission in Lansing was delayed for over two hours due to email death threats before closing off the second part of the meeting to the public. Edward Woods is the spokesman for the group, and he went on with Kevin Dietz. Uh, yeah, about um, 1.06 p.m., we were alerted of an email that came in through our general email box at redistricting.michigan.gov with regards to a threat. Um, we immediately reported it to the police. Um, the police um, basically yesterday evening checked the threat and what have you, and they determined that it wasn't credible. Um, but, you know, when you're getting that at the first time, you know, you don't know what's going on. <laughs> you know, you're here to do map deliberations on behalf of the citizens of Michigan. Um, I can honestly tell you it was a little jarring, but uh, we're grateful um, to law enforcement here at the Michigan State University, East Lansing Police, um, Michigan Department of State security team that acted quickly, Michigan State Police, and swiftly um, to ensure the safety of the not just the commission, but also the public um, as we were assessing the um, threat that we received. Yeah, and uh, they do they do a great job. Michigan State uh, Police have a uh, the university and Michigan State Police have have excellent uh, uh, teams of people to respond to problems like this, and and they did immediately. Uh, the the decision you you got that information at about one o'clock. You said that the decision then what was to postpone it or to cancel it. What did you guys decide to do? Oh, uh, we did meet yesterday. We did meet um, um, yesterday, and um, we are meeting today. And um, we're, we're st- you know, still carrying out our mission to draw fair maps um, through public engagement. The um, commission is meeting right now. If you want to go to our YouTube channel, you can see our see us meeting right now as they go over the deliberations over what they heard at our five public hearings. As you know, we kicked off in the Motor City of Detroit in the Metro Detroit area. We were at the TCF Center, and so they're going over the feedback they received at each of the public hearings. Um, they started with Detroit, then they went to Lansing, then from Lansing to Grand Rapids, then from Grand Rapids to Gaylord, and then to Flint. So they're going over the um, the feedback received from the public hearings as they uh, contemplate whether or not they want to adjust the maps from Michigan's congressional, state house, and state senate districts. And when you talk about the the commission, who who is the commission? So our listeners understand, uh, and that will help, I think, uh, them understand uh, why a threat like this is so terrifying. Oh, great! The um, Michigan Independent Citizen District Commission is the only entity responsible for drawing 110 house district maps, um, state house district, state house districts, 38 
Senate districts and then the 13 congressional districts. They have exclusive authority. They cannot be vetoed by the legislature or the governor or anyone else for that matter. That is their responsibility. And this happened as a result of Proposal 2 in 2018, where more than 61% of Michigan residents made an intentional and deliberate decision uh, by more than 61% to say we want citizens, not politicians, to draw the lines. And um, that's what's taking place with this you know, awesome responsibility that they have on their plate. But they're, they're, they're strong, um, steadfast, and committed and dedicated to this process of drawing fair maps um, through public engagement. So we expect to uh, meet our deadlines without delay. And although this was an unfortunate blip, we do have to recognize that mental illness is real. And we hope that um, those that are diagnosed get the help that they need and that they're um, somehow held accountable to the full extent of the law um, when it comes to making threats like this, because this can't be something that's taken lightly. And although people are mental illness, they still need to get treatment so that they can have corrective behavior so they do not make threats like this in the um, public against anybody, not just the Michigan Independent Citizens Redistricting Commission. Activists and lawmakers on both sides of the aisle are asking Attorney General Dana Nessel to weigh in on the Redistricting Commission's decision to close off the second part of the meeting since all of the commission's proceedings are supposed to be open to the public according to the Open Meetings Act. Tony Daunt from Fair Maps Michigan is one of those activists and he talked to Guy Gordon. This is bipartisan outrage and condemnation uh, at this secret meeting. And it's I think it's especially troubling that it was to discuss such an important aspect of redistricting, the Voting Rights Act. And um, as that news clip was, was speaking to last week when this commission was in Detroit and on the road taking public comment, the folks of Detroit stood up and spoke loudly and clearly that what they had produced thus far, this commission had produced, does not meet muster, is not compliant with the right. Voting Rights Act dilutes their power as African-American citizens and voters. And for this commission to uh, first meeting back, go into closed session to discuss this is it is outrageous. And folks across party lines, across ideological lines have been slamming them for it. And I hope that they hear it. I hope they hear it loud and clear because we need to see the memos that they were discussing. We need to know right. what they talked about. And um, it's time for them to quit this secrecy. Well, here's the thing. You know, we know that there are exceptions to the Open Meetings Act. And usually when we see those exceptions invoked, it's because uh, the group has been sued and they can talk about legal strategy behind closed doors because obviously there are some, you know, proprietary things that you would want to keep away from your adversaries. This wasn't one of those things. This was information that has distinct bearing on how these boundaries will be drawn. Now, both Republican and Democratic senators on the Senate Oversight Committee are now asking Attorney General Dana Nessel uh, to come up with a formal opinion on whether or not this was a sound decision and within the confines of the Open Meetings Act. Do you think you will get that opinion, and how do you think she might rule? Yeah, I, I certainly hope so. Um, I, I would expect that the Attorney General would take this seriously. Uh, in particular, because, as you mentioned, it's, it's bipartisan, uh, this request. I commend Senators McBroom, a Republican, and, and Irwin, a, a Democrat, for, for making this request. Uh, they've made statements uh, 
condemning the action, saying that this commission is expected, and in fact they're bound by the Constitution to conduct all of their business in open sessions and before the public. And I would certainly hope that this attorney general would uh, look at what they've done, uh, cast uh, cast aspersions on it, and, and prohibit them from doing so uh, further. And I think it's incredibly important that she does that and we get an answer because when you listened to the press conference from the, the commission's spokespeople yesterday following this closed session and then watch them um, in action today, it's clear that they're just kind of sloughing off this criticism and kind of doubling down mm. on, on their ability to do so. And I, I think it's shameful. And they, you know, apparently they're taking their lack of accountability to anyone um, seriously. And that's unfortunate. This is, in, this is too important of a process. The Voting Rights Act is too important of a, an aspect. And in fact, it's the first priority listed in this in the constitutional amendment relaying or related yeah. to this and so they need to get this right the food and drug administration approved the pfizer covid vaccine for children ages 5 to 11 this week nurse practitioner sarah runner heads up the beaumont vaccine clinics in both southfield and troy and she was on the paul w smith show with guest hosts sean belegian and marie osborne i have to ask sarah with 28 million kids we're looking at about 28 million kids in this age group and about we know that about two million kids have already uh, been infected with COVID-19. And of those, 94 have died. So you're looking at 94 uh, deaths among children uh, from COVID. How are we going to convince parents that getting a vaccine for their kids is a good idea? So it's first and foremost, it's listening to the parents' concerns. Um, they have to be heard. Once you're hearing where their concern and their questions are coming from, it's digging deep and talking with them about, um, you know, what's the best thing for your family. You know, 94 is not a huge number, but that's 94 families that can't tuck their kids in at you know bed at night. That's 94 families that are are paying the price for this at this point in time. And personally, I'm not willing to take that risk with something that has proven this far to be safe. Um, in general, it's also not just the risk of the 94 that have died. It's also risk of multi-system inflammatory syndrome, long-term complications that some of these kids will have. So um, I actually have three kids. Uh, two of my, my oldest two have already been vaccinated. That's correct. Day number one, they could get it. Um, and I involved my kids in my conversation. I'm like, all right, you guys have seen me through this. You know, you want to do it or are we going to hold off? And both of my older two right away, day one, wanted it. So... I think we have to talk to them. I think we have to lead by example. And I also think that we need to be respectful of everyone's, you know, own personal concerns and wishes. You know, what's interesting about this, Sarah, is obviously there are going to be so many questions, this, that, or the other thing. I mean, look, getting shots is already such a, a, a debatable thing for a lot of parents. But with this, we hear so much about myocarditis, other heart-related side effects. What would you tell people that were perhaps apprehensive in regards to that? So, yes, in, in regards to the myocarditis, um, the interesting data that's starting to come out as well is you can have longer-term side effects from myocarditis with actually getting COVID itself, the disease. Mm. So with a vaccine, we have seen some cases for sure, um, you know, when you do enough vaccines in a population. But 
But the majority of those cases are not ill and later. It resolves quickly with minimal, you know, minimal, if any, intervention, more than anything, just watching them. Whereas if these kids actually get myocarditis from COVID itself, it's long-term inflammation. Are they going to be able to you know, play sports? Are they going to even be able to walk up to school without being short of breath and having those? And personally, I'm not willing to, to risk that with my own kids. The Pfizer vaccine could be available to children as early as next week. That'll do it for Pod Sui this week. For full episodes or anything else you might have missed, go to thegreatvoice.com. See you next time.